Did you ever wonder what the abomination of desolation is all about? What is an abomination anyway? What does God himself say about it in his word? That's what we're going to look at today in Bible Prophecy. This is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Let's delve into this a little bit. Let's start in Revelation 17. I want to read this in the NLT, the New Living Translation, because I think it is clearer than any other translation that I have, and I have several. But anyway, here's what it says, starting in verse 1. One of the seven angels who poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of the earth, the world, have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me and the spirit into the wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns and blasphemies against God were written all over it. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing, sounds like the Catholics, and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. In her hand she held a golden goblet full of obscenities and impurities of her immorality. A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were the witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. Why are you so amazed? The angel asked. I will tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns on which she sits. The beast you saw was once alive but isn't now, yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go into eternal destruction. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. This calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent seven hills where the woman rules. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen, the sixth is now reigning, and the seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. The scarlet beast that was and is no longer, but will come again, is the eighth king. I'm going to read that again. The scarlet beast that was, but is no longer, is the eighth king. He, like the other seven, is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings 
who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give him their power and authority. Together they will go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them, because he is the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings, and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Verse 15, this is Revelation 17. Then the angel said to me, The waters where the prostitute is ruling represent masses of people from every nation and language. The scarlet beast and his ten horns all hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh, and burn her remains with fire. For God has put up a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. They will agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast, and so the words of God will be fulfilled. And this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the world. Let's take a look at what Jesus said an abomination was in Luke 16:15. I'm going to start actually in verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you? with the true riches of heaven. And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with other things, things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who dearly love their money, heard all this, and they scoffed at him. Then he said to them, You are, are you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Now, in the King James, the word detestable here is abomination. Huh. So, what's going on here? Why is he trying to show us something about the word abomination? Well, it's the love of money. It's idolatry. That's a big deal to God. Huge. Let's see if we can find something else on that. Here's the way God talked about idolatry in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 25. You must burn their idols in the fire... And you must not cover the silver or gold, or covet, I'm sorry, covet the silver or gold that covers them. So, they're wooden idols that they have made to worship, and they cover them, they overlay them with silver and gold. You must not covet the silver or gold that covers them. You must not take it, or it will become a trap for you. For it is detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring any detestable objects into your home, for then 
you will be destroyed just like them. You must utterly detest these things, for they are set apart for destruction. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet is what we're talking about today. And the things that are idolatrous are an abomination to God. So is that what would be an abomination? Let's read what it says in Daniel. Daniel 9, starting in verse 22. And he's talking about the, uh, the angel Gabriel who had come to him to give him insight. So let's pick it up in uh, verse 22. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I am here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. A period of 70 sets of seven have been decreed for your people and your city, your holy city, to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the beginning, or I'm sorry, from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the, the appointed, the anointed one, will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and war and mis its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people of the period, or for a period, of one set of seven. But after half of this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and the offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration. This is the abomination of desolation, which we are talking about today. Until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him, unquote. Many Bible prophecy teachers have speculated as to what this abomination is. Well, I want to give you some ideas, and I don't really believe that we will figure it out to this the uh, detail that we will see in the very near future. And the reason I say this is because it could work a couple of different ways. Say, for example, the Arabs built a, a mosque on the Temple Mount. Well, there's one already there. 
there's one already there. And do you know that the boys who are Muslim are allowed to play in there during off times when they're not in there uh, sticking their rear ends up in the air and bowing their faces down to the mat and praying to Allah? Well, when they go in there, they throw rocks at one another and play war and stuff like that, and they leave the place in a royal mess. I've seen the pictures of them. I've seen it happen in those pictures. Now, let's say that this is a holy of holiest places in Jerusalem for the Muslims. And let's say the Jews some ornery Jews, let's say, from Tel Aviv come in there and commit an atrocious act, which they are prone to do from Tel Aviv, by the way. And uh, it's an abomination, not to the Jews, it's an abomination to the Arabs. Did you ever think about that? It could be just as as plain as can be, and as simple as that. Because that would cause World War III to start. The abomination of desolation could be reversed what we've always thought and taught. And it could trigger a world war. And in the Middle East, let me tell you, that is a very dangerous place in a very dangerous possibility. Now, on the flip side of that, it could be the other way around. Instead of the Jews doing something to aggravate the Arabs, it could be the Arabs doing something like that on the Temple Mount or wherever the holy place might be. In other words, the temple or the altar that is in front of the temple, which is yet to be built. Now, the altar is already done. It's ready to, to put in place. So is the ark and um, other th objects of worship for the temple. Well, now, I'm not sure they really are going to disclose where that ark is. I think it probably still exists somewhere and in or near Jerusalem, probably buried or hidden deep in a cave someplace or in a one of the uh, uh, the mines of Solomon. It's back in the back, hidden away someplace. Well, that's just speculation. I don't think we really know about that right now. But let's say they rebuild the temple and they've got all that stuff put in that temple, all the gold lavers and uh, wick trimmers and uh, flame snuffers and things like that. All that's there and ready to go. The priesthood is there. And all of those priests are bona fide descendants of King David, which is a requirement. And they've got all that put in place. But then the Muslims come in there and bully them, get them out of there, and they do something awful in there. 
Say, for example, they set up one of their idols. They moved the Kava stone into that place, or something like that, which would in, in incite and infuriate the Jews to the point of a vast war. Now, if the war happens, either way, and I'm speculating on both of them, I'm not saying one or the other is the way it is. I'm saying this is what we need to look out for, something that God calls an abomination, and it will stand in the holy place, whether it is their holy place or the Israeli holy place. So we need to think about that from both angles and watch for it either way, one or the other. Now, is there a difference between desecrate uh, or desecration and an abomination? I'm here to say, no, there isn't any difference at all. When you desecrate something of God, he is offended, and I don't blame him. They have done it on purpose to defy God. Now, what does defy God? Well, let's take a look at that. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 31. Deuteronomy 12 and verse 31. And I'm going to turn in the NLT for this. Well, let's start in um, verse 28. Be careful to obey all my commands so that all will go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is good and pleasing to the Lord your God. Verse 29, When the Lord your God goes ahead of you and destroys the nations, and you drive them out and live in their land, do not fall into the trap of following their customs and worshiping their gods, little g. Do not inquire about their gods, saying, How do these nations worship their gods? I want to follow their example. And this is something we need to get straight in the church right now. Verse um, 31. You must not worship the Lord your God the way the other nations worship, worship their gods, for they perform their, for their gods every detestable act that the Lord God hates. They even burn their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. Hmm. So be careful to obey all the commands I give you. You must not add anything to them or subtract anything from them. He warns against idolatry, but moreover, child sacrifice. He's talking about uh, sacrificing a human baby to a foreign or pagan god. To the Jews, Allah is a foreign and pagan god. To me too, and to all Christians, we're all, we're all like that. We know 
that Allah is not a real God. That's not the one and only true God. They are not the same as Jehovah. Allah is not Jehovah, and Jehovah is certainly not Allah. And we know that. And God goes to great lengths here to tell us that we are not to do idolatry, not to have another God before the true God. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5 is a list of the Ten Commandments. My listeners have heard me talk about that for years. But let's go on in chapter 13 for a few verses. Suppose there are prophets among you or those who dream dreams about the future and they promise you signs or miracles and the predicted signs or miracles happen. What if they occur? If they then say, come, let us worship other gods, gods you have not known before, do not listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart, with all your life force, and with all your mind. Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice, and cling, cling to him. The false prophets or visionaries who try to lead you astray must be put to death, for they encourage rebellion against the Lord your God. Now, he takes it pretty seriously, sounds to me who redeemed you from slavery and brought you out of the land of Egypt, since they try to lead you astray from the way the Lord your God has commanded you to live. You must put them to death. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you." Unquote. Now, wouldn't, don't you think that if our laws here in the United States or anywhere around the world had that kind of teeth, things would be different. And what shows the most love anyway? If a society allows the criminals to walk free and they go and do it again and again and again, is that good for society or does that destroy it? Well, it destroys it. Plain and simple. Everybody knows that. That's not uncommon to realize. You can't have anarchy and have law and order and peace and justice. It just doesn't work that way. Period. But if execution against an evil work happens immediately, they will have an incentive not to do it they'll see what happened to their friend or their brother or something like that, and they got executed right on the spot, right there and then, the same day they committed the crime. They will be tried in a court and convicted and executed in the same day. If that were happening now, we would have an incentive not to commit a crime. And what would that do for society? Well, one man's 
example, one man's execution, one man's death because of his crime will deter everyone who hears about it. Did you hear about that? He got killed the same day he was convicted. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. You see, it would save lives. It would save costs, court costs and incarceration costs. Do you know in the Bible, there really doesn't show that there is a jail until the New Testament. Did you know that? All that Old Testament time, there wasn't a jail, so far as I can tell. So, is that a good thing on society, or is that a ball and chain that we need to get rid of? In my view, in my understanding of Jesus, he's not going to put up with much. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. And a rod of iron is not made out of noodles. It would hurt. If it hit me, I would be crushed. I'd be broken. There's no doubt about it. A rod of iron? I have several. I have several in my shed, rods of iron. If I hit somebody with it, it'd likely kill them. So let's not suppose that Jesus himself is a wimpy guy that will not hurt people or even kill them. Why is his robe dipped in blood? It's not his blood. It's someone else's blood. And the blood in the Bible will come up to the horse's bridles. Remember that scripture? So, and who's the one riding the horse? That would be Jesus himself. He will destroy all of the armies on earth with the armies of heaven. Now, let's take a look at Isaiah 34 for a second. This is one of the scariest chapters in the entirety of the Bible. Verse 1, chapter 34, Isaiah. Come here and listen, O nations, plural, of the earth. Let the world and everything in it hear my words. For the Lord is enraged against the nations. His fury is against all their armies, and he will completely destroy them, dooming them to slaughter. Did you know that was in the Bible? God is not going to put up with a lot of rebellion. He's going to off them. In other words, kill them and get rid of them. Verse 3. They're dead will be left unburied, and the stench of rotting bodies will fill the land. The mountains will flow with their blood. The heavens will melt away and disappear like a rolled-up scroll. The stars will fall from the sky like withered leaves from a grapevine or shriveled figs from a fig tree. Sounds like Matthew twenty-four twenty-nine to me. And when my sword has finished its work in the heavens, it will fall upon Edom, the nation I have marked for destruction. Now remember, Edom are the sons, the descendants of Esau. And he said there would be nothing left of the house of Esau. Nothing left. No survivors. Can you imagine wiping out 
uh, people like that and making them go extinct? And why? Because of their idolatry and their rebellion against the parents. In verse 6, he says, um, The sword of the Lord is drenched with blood, with the blood and fat of lambs and goats, with the fat of rams prepared for sacrifice. Yes, the Lord will offer a sacrifice in the city of Basra, and he will make a mighty slaughter in Edom. Unquote. The abomination of desolation can be a number of things, but the bottom line is it will result in World War III. And when that happens, the fulfillment of that scripture, Isaiah 34, will start. And when it's done, Christ will be the one to put a stop to it. He will stop World War III and God's wrath will be fulfilled, and every army on the planet will die. They will disappear. Right now, they're pretty necessary, because otherwise, we would be letting them run all over us, for example. And But that's the way wars get started. That's the way other people view us. And they prepare for war that way. See, we need Christ to put an end to war in all of its paraphernalia. Well, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. There's more to this story, but the abomination itself can be any trigger event. It can be so little as a lie, a breach of a... Uh, a peace pact or something like that, a peace plan, quote-unquote. Well, the only peace there will be is when Jesus puts an end to war. You can go to my website, itellwhy.com, and you can read my books there, and you can watch all the videos, and you can listen to the audio parts and stuff like that. So I suggest until next time you go there, you can also get my email address. You can disagree with me. You can try to encourage me or whatever you want to do there. But itellwhy.com is the address. And I appreciate you tuning in today. Have a great one. And we'll catch you next time.